I used to say queer culture, it's queer culture before it's culture, but then one of my friends corrected me in a way I like of queer culture is culture. And so we don't have to like conform to something you recognize for it to work. Like you can have a triad, you can have a threesome, we can invent new words and that's totally fine. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about the journey to sex positivity, non-monogamy pride, and how all of this resulted in the creation of a queer comedy web series. We're joined today by a very special guest and friend of the Pleasure Podcast Network, Frank Arthur Smith. He is a queer writer, director, actor, producer, originally from Boston. His LGBTQIA comedy series called Open To It in which he stars, writes, directs, and executive produces, was an official selection of a bunch of festivals, including Outfest, where it got two special encore screenings, the Rio LGBTQIA Plus Film Festival, where it was the opening night film, Wicked Queer, Boston's LGBTQIA Film Festival, where it won the Audience Award for Best Comedy Short, as well as the inaugural Gay Binge Film Festival, which I didn't even know that existed, but sounds great where it won the special jury prize for best performance. So Frank, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I don't know how you got wrong, though. I'm not sex positive at all. Who? But my publicist is fire. Oh. That's <laughs> Dang it. You're right. Well, we are a famously very sex negative show, so you've actually come oh to the right gosh. place. It's okay. So wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> So, yes, those are so many wonderful accolades. And I want to go go way back, way, way back to before all of those accolades, before this was just like a little twinkle in your eye. What was happening there? How did you decide to create this web series? Yeah, this was definitely a twinkle. Well, so how this started (laughs) was I was working for a showrunner, director, star who was doing a show loosely inspired by her own life. And I was like... She's not doing a good enough job. I could do that. Mm. And if she's listening, you know what you did. But anyway, I was inspired to sort of think like, okay, what do I think is interesting about my life? And what could I share with the world? What's my unique perspective? And I was like, you know, I have a lot of sex. And the sex I have is often not good, but it is funny. Oh, I shouldn't have said often. That is such a (laughs) cell phone. Um, When it is not good, which it mostly (laughs) is, it is funny. And actually, I was discussing this with someone the other day where when I first conceived of the idea, I thought the show was going to be like starting out in a monogamous place and moving to a polyamorous place because I guess I felt like that would be more palatable to people to like, oh, see him like sort of transition into that. But then I realized the funniest stories I wanted to tell were kind of like, already in the polyamorous place so it kind of took me a few years to like find exactly what the right take was and then go no like we're just going balls to the wall so to speak um and making the show what it is today i i really appreciate that because i do think that of all the media that we've consumed over the years especially someone trying to tell a i guess a, a fictionalized story via a movie or a tv show or a web series or whatever i think it's right that the most palatable version or at least what we think is the most palatable version is yeah we got to make it so that our lead characters are instantly relatable to what's going to be probably a mostly monogamous audience 
which yeah. means that from a storytelling perspective, you have to go through the growing pains of opening up a, a not previously open relationship. You have to go through the awkward talks. You have to go through the stumble and all the obstacles right at the gate, which is, you know, it does reflect many people's experiences. But mm-hmm. also, I think you're right that there's a whole rich experience and so many stories to be told by people who are on the other side of that. Yeah. And I think it felt like the most logical thing to me, like, oh, they're exploring openness is the inciting incident, as opposed to like the original conception was that the character would move out to like California and start dating. And I was like, are we going to start from when his umbilical cord is snapped? Like, come on, let's get to the important part of the story. Yeah. I mean, that's that's something I actually had this to talk about later, but maybe we could talk about this right now. Something that I found really interesting about the show was that I've seen some content out there, and we've talked a lot about different media and, and things like that that portray non-monogamy on this show in the mm-hmm. past. And you have the one option, the most common one, which we were just talking about, is you have a couple who's opening up and it's kind of all about their will they, won't they? Are they going to figure this out? All the, you know, jealousy, whatever that comes up. And then you have the other side where you'll have ones where it's more like, oh, these people have been polyamorous forever. They've been non-monogamous forever. And so it's more about, wow, look at their wildlife that's so different from yours. Or look at how this new person starts dating them and they have to learn all of this from this very experienced triad or couple or whoever it is. And I think your show is interesting because it's kind of right in between those. It's like you're starting the journey that, you know, so the main couple on the show, they're starting that journey, but we're past all that. Will they, won't they? It's like, yep, we're doing this. (laughs) We're ready to get going. I was curious, like, what other shows did you look at and try to not be like or to be similar to? You know, like, how'd you get to that? Yeah. uh, What a dangerous question. Um, So (laughs) I think uh, we'll keep it positive. Some of the inspirations were like, Please Like Me, I think is one of those. It was like one of the first gay comedies I saw, truly, because I think a lot of them strike a tone of being more dramedy or drama. And weirdly, it has like a heavy logline of the main character comes out the same day as mom tries to commit suicide and yet is very upbeat and quirky. And he's like such uh, annoyingly, he's charmingly annoying, I would say not annoyingly charming. That's a different (laughs) thing. So that was it where I was like, oh, you can have gay comedy that weirdly explores serious things, but isn't traumatic. Mm -hmm. And then bonding on Netflix, I love because that was like all about BDSM and is like this very you know, sexy comedy where like a lot of the comedy came from the sex and eating out was one of my inspirations for the same reason, just series of gay movies that were very much like American pie, but gay. I actually met the director of those and writer Alan Brocka the other day, and he was so wonderful and so warm and just very affirming of like what I'm trying to do here. And I would say, yeah, like most of the inspirations are that I think kind of trending positive because, you know, being queer in this world can certainly come with its challenges as can being from any sort of marginalized group. And I find the healing comes from doing more comedic takes. I think if we are leaning into the heaviness, sometimes it's not, it's just not the road I want to go down. Other people really enjoy doing that, but especially in this time post COVID more the Ted Lasso, like world affirming viewpoint is kind of where I like to live. Love that. So speaking of you know, gay media, I, I think something that we've talked about with other guests on this show before is about how polyamory and non-monogamy generally can be treated differently within the gay community than in most of the other yeah. like more straight-leaning non-monogamy content out there. And I'm talking both in journalism and in media for consumption. What's been your impression of that? That's a great observation because I think I want to start by agreeing with something Jay said earlier of like, uh, 
Jason might not have said it. I'm sorry. I don't want to be part of the patriarchy problem here. Someone made a great observation um, that <laughs> someone uh, really smart, probably someone really this. smart and beautiful, but they don't have to be beautiful. That's just a side. It was about how like uh, non-monogamy is usually viewed through like a very scandalous lens of like, oh, look at their lives. And that was sort of what I didn't want to do here as well, just to sort of normalize them and show like they're just like you. They just have more sex, um, not even always better sex, because I think it really it's a sexuality dependent thing what your arrangement's going to be because if you have two heterosexual partners then they are most likely not going to see people together but if you have a couple where like you know my partner and I are both gay for instance and uh we can see people together and that actually is more commonly what we do it's di- means different things to other different people so like i wouldn't say i identify as polyamorous cuz we don't usually date people like especially not separately but we will like have friends that we have uh close relationships with um together and that's the version that kind of works for us because we are entirely codependent and uh you know can't spend a second apart even when we're with other people (laughs) i mean there's plenty of straight couples that that bring uh you know the codependency into dating or dating people together stuff like that but but it is different when you're coming from already a given that like we're both attracted to the same type of person Mm. that's it yeah yeah, actually, that's something that you're absolutely right. Like we we happen to have similar taste. So it is uh, not often that we'll be like, him? Okay. And I think like, we both are good at like not like browbeating someone into being like, come on, please. But there are definitely quirks we acknowledge about one another. I think Matt has a little more like of a thing for beards, whereas me, like I like blondes a little more than he does. But like we can like accept those goggles about one another and, you know, proceed anyway. Right. I mean, that's that is interesting because it's almost, you know, for you liking similar people, you know, that's that's helpful and that's convenient for for doing more of that together. But it's just interesting when you take that into the world of and it's funny that we would even use the term like straight leaning polyamory, where it's like, unless you're having totally separate, unconnected relationships to each other, like something's got to be not totally straight going on here, right? Um, mm, like if we're yeah. going to do anything together, something's got to be going on. Mm-hmm. But that is often this kind of weird piece of conflict that mm. does bring in some patriarchy and stuff like that, where it's like, oh, the woman's kind of expected to be a little more flexible on yeah. her sexuality. Yeah. And so there's going to be another woman involved. And that's basically the premise of almost all the other fictional media out there about non-monogamy. And polyamory is basically that setup, right? You have this like sort of bi-curious female partner, the straight man, and that's, you know, and what the free spirit who comes in to change their lives and hearts that's forever. Truly. Yeah, <laughs> you, me, her. Yeah. Or like even uh-huh, like yeah, House of Cards where it's like yeah. they're bisexuals who have threesomes with underlings. And they're murderers. Are you surprised those go together? And it's like, okay. Right. Right. Totally. Totally. I mean, it's like House of Cards. It's like, yeah, sure. It had its other problems. And it's again, it's a villain being non-monogamous. And so I guess we can let that slide. But at least it was like, okay, it wasn't just with women. It wasn't just the unicorn hunting thing. But I think something that's, that's interesting in your show is like, that's not the dynamic that's there right? There's not this kind of weird, who of us is in is one more into this person than the other. I got to kind of convince you like, come on, it'll be fine. But like both partners right from the start. And I don't think this is spoilers because it's literally the first 30 seconds of the thing is like, (laughs) oh my gosh, he's hot. We're excited for this guy to come over. So (laughs) a literal angel kind of removed that piece. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Did you use a lot of experience from your own life in the actual show when writing it and when creating it so it's interesting it's veered 
very quickly away from my own life. Like the character mm-hmm. of Princeton, who's the third, played by Jason Casares, he is a composite of three different people, actually. And like each of the first three episodes is like loosely based on something that happened with like, you know, exaggerated details. And as Blanche Devereaux would say, names change to protect the satisfied. But then the (laughs) actors really interpreted their characters in such a complete and comedic way that the story from episodes four on just like very much took off in a manner I didn't expect because I really liked who these people had become and wasn't my vision for them. Like, truthfully, I thought the show was going to be the main couple sort of like having a fling of the week. But Jason, who plays Princeton, ended up impressing me so much that I was like, oh, I'm keeping him around. And like, I want to see what happens to his character, too. And in a way, he like actually grows the most of anybody so it's uh yeah it's been a pleasure just letting the actors kind of lead the story in that regard and sort of seeing like what do i want to see these people do next and not just going through my diary for like fuck did anything else interesting happen to me i love that you've basically just set up mirroring how a lot of people end up in polyamory in the first place too of like oh we had this threesome we had some fun but i actually like this person and want them to stick around so how can we do that so that's yeah funny that you as a writer ended up basically in that situation there i I got caught feelings for my third (laughs) it happened yeah exactly have you noticed has there been anything surprising in the way that the show has been received um interesting choice of words received uh, yes, I actually thought I was going to have to be much more worried about um, heterosexual men's response to it uh, that I was like, I really, really, I don't know, just all all my life, you know, like people talked about things, how like Queer as Folk was such a popular show and like, yeah, women really loved it. Like women love Queer Eye. So I just sort of went in thinking, OK, this is a show for like women and gay men and that's it. And the number of like heterosexual people who've been not only receptive, but have said like, wow, this like really opened my eyes into like what that kind of relationship could look like. I loved like learning and enjoyed watching. I was like, that was very surprising and affirming to be like, yeah, you don't have to look like the characters to enjoy the story, which I've always felt, but I know not everyone feels that way about what they consume. So it was just a nice to experience. I'm wondering, you know, why you think that is because I think you make a very valid point, right? That I think that with most queer content, especially like queer male content, I think we do tend to have that assumption. It's going to be other gay guys and like women, right? Like these are going to be the main consumers. And so not only it's for you to have that experience of such a wide spectrum of people enjoying the show so much, but but also to have it be so lauded and so enjoyed, you know? And so I guess I'm kind of wondering, like, do you feel like there's something going on culturally that there's been a shift that's made it so that people feel more receptive to this or more Mm. positive about this. Thank you. Well, it probably helps that Jason, who plays Princeton the Third, is a straight bait. So I think people look at him and they're like, oh, I can understand what being gay would be like now. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, But I agree more so than that. Like, I feel like one of the reasons I wanted to do the show was that polyamory felt like a frontier we hadn't conquered in media yet, whereas we've talked about there's a very specific lens on it all the time. And I think we're just living in a time where people are open to being more open-minded, honestly. And so when they see a subculture or a lifestyle with which they're not familiar, I think they're just ready to take it in instead of being judgmental. Of course, that's not true across the board, but I see it more and more that, I don't know, people are just ready for different kinds of shows. And maybe it's just because there's such a glut of entertainment. Obviously, politics have become more progressive, but yeah, there's just more of an appetite for learning about the human experience, which I could not be more thrilled about. Yeah, I realized in that question, I didn't want to be undermining like the quality of it. 
it's also going to be successful because it's really good as well at the same time, <laughs> not you. just because of a cultural moment. So No, I think that's how I lured people into because I really tried to make it pretty joke dense. Like Veep is one of my inspirations. Mm. So I truly like when I was writing the first draft was like, OK, I've gone half a page. There's not a joke. I need another one. It was like just kind of really <laughs> yeah. trying to get on. So I think like the fact that it like has a lot of one liners makes people feel like, you know, safe watching <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna laugh. It's sure, not about like the butts. Fits I swear. The formula, right? Right. It's right. gonna be broken any minute now. It's okay. So on your episode with Sex Talk with my mom, which you recorded about a year ago, you mentioned you've grown a lot in terms of your own sex positivity and becoming, you know, more yeah. comfortable talking about sex publicly. Things like the web series and being on podcasts. Can you tell us more about that evolution and even since then, how you've continued to evolve in that way? No, I would love to. Thank you for helping me remember that. Yeah, something I said to them that remains true to this day is like Am and Karen Lee were some of the main reasons I felt comfortable doing the show because it always felt like I don't act in everything I do. I'm definitely not right for every part. But like this was one where I always felt like I needed to play the lead. And at the same time, I was really nervous because like I hadn't been on camera in a while. I also like had not shown that much on camera in the past. So I was really scared. But like, yeah, Cam and Karen Lee and all of you inspire me because you are so vulnerable and honest on camera, on podcast. And I think what's been very rewarding is the people now see the show and then feel comfortable discussing what's going on in their sex lives and relationships with me because they see oh this is a show where like this person i don't think i would be getting the same result if i weren't acting in it to be honest i think it's because mm -hmm. i'm willing to put mm -hmm. my face on it that people see oh he like is willing to like look sexy look silly <laughs> like look stupid <laughs> um right. so he is someone i can feel comfortable relating to and obviously if he's talking about this sort of thing then he's all right like he wouldn't in most cases be like this is the show i'm making but then be like but guys i'm real sex negative so <laughs> right. and that's that's the whole point i want nothing more i've said this before than for 10 years from now for open to it to be totally passe for people to be like oh that was on the cusp at one point that seems so like just vanilla at this point because i saw a show oh i should have said this earlier one of the other inspirations and the creator of this show knows this i've talked to him he's very nice hunting season was like a gay sex in the city web series basically and mm. i was so rocked when i saw it i was like i've never seen this before it's like sex in the city but with dudes and like you can make that and it was very <laughs> popular and now i think he himself has said like it's great that like there were other people who popped up as imitators and whatnot and that like gay sex isn't something you can't portray anymore um so yeah you just want to make it easier and easier gay it forward so you, you talked about people you know, seeing the show, seeing you in the show and then feeling comfortable now discussing with you like what's going on in their sex lives and relationships. So do you also get the failed threesome confessions? Because oh, I feel God. like that's been ever since <laughs> I've been out, especially about being polyamorous is like the minute that they know that I have a podcast or wrote a book, then immediately people launch into, oh, yeah, this one time we invited this guy over and does that happen to you too? Thus far, what I get is either people asking me questions about whether it's right for them or brags, or they're like, you know, in college, <laughs> I did this thing. And like, they make it sound very glamorous <laughs> and stuff. And I'm like, You're I like bet if I were a fly on that wall, it wouldn't be that. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> happy they feel yeah, safe to speak of great times past. So before we come back to talk more about this, as well as uh, some other interesting shows that you've been on, we're going to take a quick break to talk about some ways that you out there listening can help support this show. If this is content that you value and you like it being available to everybody out there for free, not behind a paywall, the best way you can do that is to take a moment, listen to our ads, 
If any of them seem interesting to you, go check them out. It does directly support our show. We really appreciate your help. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News and World Report, we're the 25th top paying career. Make an impact as a fact seeker and a truth teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their sites specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I, at adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast, and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. All right, and we're back. So Frank, I've been curious about this since watching the show. For you, how would you put, you know, how much of the motivation for the show is about normalizing non-monogamy versus normalizing just like sex and talking openly about sex? Yeah, both are very important to me. And I think like what I've come across talking to a few podcasts now is that sometimes people like hear wanting to talk about non-monogamy as something threatening as though like, oh, you must think like monogamy is stupid. And I'm like, no, not at all. The whole point of the show is like to me that like you could be totally monogamous, totally polyamorous, anywhere in between. And not only is that great, consenting adults can do what they want, but it can be really fun, different permutations for different people and affirming. And same with sex, like it shouldn't be something you're afraid to talk about. I'm not saying everyone has to talk about it and has to start a web series. Um, in order to like be happy with where I'm at in this world. But if you want to do that much, you shouldn't feel like you can't. That's really all I'm about is like, I don't want you to feel like you can't do anything, but Mm. don't do whatever you don't want to and do do what you want to do. Yeah, I just, in in watching it, it was so interesting. You know, content wise, if you were just like turn the sound off and have it on in the background, you'd be like, oh, this is a show about sex, right? Because there's a lot of skin (laughs) shown, you know? (laughs) So it's kind of like, oh yeah, that's sort of on the surface. That's what's going on. But I feel like we also have a few, and there's only been a few so far in these first few episodes, but like these moments of, uh, you know, your, your character, Greg and his partner, Cam, having like these really nice, touching and also very just like mature and matter of fact conversations about yeah. the fact that they're 
going to have sex with someone else or that like it didn't go well for some reason or going on a date separately, that there's just kind of this, I think I was just really impressed with kind of the the naturalness of those conversations because they didn't have a lot of that artificial drama put into them. They kind of had that feeling of, yeah, this is a couple that's very comfortable with each other and very good at communicating with each other. No, thank you. That was one of the really important things for me to portray in the show is that they are absolutely on the same team because that's Mm -hmm. uh, what I've seen more often is that polyamorous couples, they're like on the outs or, you know, there's some great miscommunication happening. And in my relationship and a number of people's polyamorous relationships that I've seen, they are the most communicative. They are the most in touch. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you picked up on that aspect because that very much becomes a recurring theme. I'm smiling because we're editing episode seven through nine right now. And like we have a very long scene between Greg and Cam at the end of seven where I feel like we ask a question that's been on some people's minds of like, why did we even start doing this to begin with? And Tim, who plays my boyfriend, he wrote and directed that episode. And it's like very human and very affecting where they both like get vulnerable, but also are able to laugh a little bit about some of their insecurities. And like, of course, it ends with them, you know, kissing and doing what they do. But yeah, it was just (laughs) it's it's nice to feel like you have the freedom to explore that that many episodes in and just be like, yeah, I want to just focus on them talking and having a real conversation because they do love one another. And I never want the like sexiness and silliness to take away from they're the main couple and they're going to be together. I'm not flirting with a breakup. That's not what the show's about. The question I had, which was kind of, where are we going to go with that? So that's, that's awesome. Which again, I, I feel like from a writing perspective, often having the main couple be in some sort of crisis is such low hanging fruit. It's yeah, like the drama right. factory, right? Or the tension yeah. factory or the motivation factory. And so to not use that I, on the one hand is refreshing, but also I imagine again, from a writer perspective, could be challenging because it seems like it could be so easy to go there. Well, it's funny how like, (laughs) it's funny talking to executives about it sometimes because some people really get it right away and other people are like, well, if they're not fighting, where's the tension going to come from? And I was like, right. Other people. There are other things. They are, are, if nothing else, they are fucking other people. Those other people can introduce tension. It doesn't have to come from them. I mean, any other kind of surprising reactions, especially from the executive side on things? Oof, yeah, let's see. Um, One was like, just I think this was more at the outset, people misunderstanding what I wanted to do with it. So one comment was like, I love seeing a couple at the beginning of the end like this. And I was like, no, 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 wrong. And I think that's a bit of a, you know, like, I think people, I don't know, I are used to rooting for polyamorous couples to fail. And because somehow that validates their own relationship structure. And I'm trying to present something different here of like, not only will they not fail, but their not failure is not your failure. Because we, as the show goes on, we get to introduce, you know, other couples going through some similar but different journeys. Like the two women, Elsa and Reggie, kind of like inspired by the men are like, ooh, should we try being open? At one point, like in episode nine, the Christmas episode, we meet Cam's parents and we eventually learn that like, they are trying out something of their own that they feel really ashamed of. And when like the guys catch wind of it, they're like, that's nothing. That's what you were worried about. So everyone has different standards for what being open means to them. But as long as you approach it with like love and confidence, I think there's, you know, nothing you can't try and no relationship that can't thrive. So, okay. I think it's time for a little quiz. We'll see if you answer this quiz correctly or not. So the word thruple. Uh-huh. Is it a cool word or is it the worst word? 
And this is very crucial. You get this answer right, Frank. It's really going to be all right either way. There's a lot writing on this question. Whatever you say. My goodness. It's the worst word. Triad is so much cooler. There you go. Okay. Okay. What's your, okay. Ding, ding, ding. But what's your actual opinion? Uh, Yeah, yeah, I won. Um, No, I think if it works for you, it works for you. Um, Actually, it's funny because I, Matt and I have these friends who they're a throuple, but they identify as like, Sometimes like their third, I guess, doesn't participate in the text exchanges because he's got a really busier job than they do. So they'll be like, hey, it's us from the Thruple couple. And sometimes they'll meet people without him. So that's why they explain that. It's like, you just met us, but there is one more. Uh, so I, I kind of I like a good rhyme. So Thruple couple works for me. Nice. Yeah, it's I, I don't know. We've had an interesting back and forth about that on our show. I feel like the three of us like tend to personally dislike the word throuple. I think for me, it, it often tends to read as an outsider word because I feel like already with non-monogamy, we're already suffering from, I think, a lot of especially like journalism representation that tends to be like, oh, it's just like monogamy, but like plus one. Right. It's just like a couple. We'll make it a throuple, you know. But after I don't know, after expressing that on the show a couple of times and then we've gotten a lot of like very ardent throuples out there that really like the word. love that label and love yeah. that term. Okay. So I feel like I'm a little bit less attached to the whole throuple versus triad debate. But um, I, yeah. I take your point. I think some people just claim that word and have no compunction about it. But I do hear how some people would say like, no, that's trying to turn us into something you recognize. And to me, queer culture is about mm. it. I used to say queer culture, it's queer culture before it's culture. But then one of my friends corrected me in a way I like of queer culture is culture. And so we don't have to like conform to something you recognize for it to work. Like you can have a triad, you can have a threesome, we can invent new words and that's totally fine. Sometimes there are also too many words. Like when I learned the term non, I think it was non-romantic polycule. And I was like, that's friendship. Why is there a word for that? But um, (laughs) I'll I'll let your listeners tell me why I'm wrong. It's fine. (laughs) I I just still, we, we got handed the words a few years no not even a few it was many many years ago semi-porous polyfidelitous commune and that's just like it's just that's it's what you huge... kill your grandparents with yes it's just <laughs> right. it's so many words together no but I, yeah i think you make a good point though that i think yeah i mean we've been doing this show now for i mean pretty soon in years. another year or so it's going to be a decade you know wow. which is a million years of podcasting that's years huge. yeah um <laughs> and, you know, we've seen the words change and the labels change so much and a proliferation of like maybe one could subjectively say too many labels right. too as well. Right. And I do think that we've gotten to a place or at least I have gotten to a place anyway of feeling like, gosh, maybe we need to be less hung up on the labels as yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I always come back to that. The Tickful Wolf comic, the Kimchi Cuddles comic about the person looking at the piece of paper being like, oh, this label, oh, I hate someone's trying to label me and like crumples it up and throws it on the ground. And then another person walks by, picks it up and goes, oh my gosh, finally a word that describes who I am. Yeah. And it's that like, yeah, it just depends how it affects you, you know? Yeah. See, so I think I'm like, oh, this thruple gum wrapper, ew. And, <laughs> and someone else is like, oh, wow. I needed to put one, my gum in something. Right? And this I is perfect. <laughs> gosh. <laughs> there you go <laughs> the fresh maker yeah with thruple mint gum now we've made our million dollar oh, idea that's beautiful okay, done. Gum, i that's love that good. i love that oh, wow and it comes in little three packs oh Ooh. god that's good it's not enough gum but okay um tm tm tm, TM. this is trademarked no one can take this this, this yeah. is ours We're gonna make our millions with it so this is just kind of a selfish question but if we were to ever make 
multi-amory the show do you have any advice for that like what <laughs> what is your advice for creating a show in general like a tv because show it or seems a web like series. a big yeah, yeah a tv or a web series it seems like a humongous undertaking this is hard enough as it is creating a podcast <laughs> but that's even more intense well well i will say as yes. far as unscripted goes basically like we have an unscripted television producer that reaches out to us about twice a year on a seasonal basis being like, hey, I like so interested. I want to get you on a call. Let, let's talk about making a show. Seems so fascinating. Like, would love to see you and like both your partners, you know, in your day to day lives. And when I'm like, actually, the three of us, we're not, we're not a triad. We're not a throuple, and we don't all live together. Then they're like, oh, never mind. So that's been our unscripted experience. <laughs> <laughs> that's. I'm sorry, you're not what they dreamed of. That's really too bad. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it is. Okay, it's it okay. definitely is. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe something scripted. I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. Let's say a scripted show because that's your your Ooh. area here. Let's say what scripted do you got for us? Quick. Yeah. Quick um, advice. Quick. Don't do it. No. Uh, I think it's just <laughs> right. About, that's uh, what we tell people when they're like, "I want to create <laughs> yeah. a podcast." Like, just, no, you don't. Just don't. Um, <laughs> you don't. <laughs> no, I would say the advice I have is like, first off, celebrate small victories because it's mm. even something as simple as like oh we hired a sound mixer today like that's big and there are definitely moments that are frustrating and moments where you're like oh my gosh this is so much but you surround yourself with passionate people like you found already and then in making the show it's even more people who believe in what you're doing and it just makes it all the easier for when like little things go wrong when the caterer delivers lunch like 30 minutes later and everyone's mad at you like you're literally starving them it's and actually when that did happen everybody was very lovely about it but i i was worried they wouldn't be they were rightfully so i love <laughs> right it. um and when there's a lot of reward in it and then my friend told me a story that i like repeating to people of it's okay to have moments where you're a little bummed out or frustrated like she told a story of when she was producing a documentary and she was doing it in vegas and her producer was asking her a question. She put down a briefcase containing $3,000 cash and the laptop with a bunch of footage on it, turned away for 90 seconds, turned back, <gasps> laptop was gone. No. She contacted oh hotel security and they were like, we're going to do what we can, but the person wasn't that visible on the camera. I think we're probably not no. able to track them down. So she told her producer what had happened. They were like, you know, just out of college making this documentary and were really, that was a loss. They went behind a slot machine, cried for a few minutes, then came back oh. out and said, okay, what are we shooting next? So, you know, wow. I like to say you are always wow. allowed a good cry behind the slot machine, but then you come back out and you say, okay, what are we going to shoot next? Um, or, well, but okay, but is it just don't shoot in Vegas? Is that the, is that so that you don't even have to find a slot machine to cry behind? If you, you know, a refrigerator works fine too. Um, <laughs> and the end of that story, by the way, is that documentary ended up on Netflix, um, Figures of Speech. It's all about speech and debate. So oh, cool. it turned out very well. And yeah, I think, yeah, it's funny looking back at the past few years and I'm just, I'm really grateful for the friends I've made, the partnerships I've developed and like just the person I've become making this, like you're not going to emerge from making this theoretical show worse than you started off. You're, it's only going to be better. Uh, there's going to be lots mm -hmm. of laughs and love along the way. And I will be the first person to sit at the premiere. I think it'll be great. Thank you. That's Lovely. great. <laughs> yeah. uh, so before we start wrapping up, I did want to take a moment and ask about being on Marie Kondo's show, sure. Tidying Up yeah. on Netflix. So we didn't, we didn't mention this in the beginning, but you and your your real life non fictional partner yeah. were on the Netflix show 
tidying up with Marie Kondo. Uh, Dedeker and I, big fans. I think Emily maybe is coming around as well to get on the Kondo train. <laughs> but Marie Kondo has gotten off the train. She is not organized anymore, as you know. She, there was an article yeah. published in Gizmodo being like, she's like, I, I've given up. I have three kids. I can't be organized anymore. I'm sure her disorganized is still way better than our peak organization, but Probably. that is what she put on <laughs> sure. the record. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get that, yeah. though. Uh, I mean, what, tell us about that. What was that like? How did that happen? Yeah, so, you know, basically the same as open to it. Um, Netflix was like, take your pants off. I was like, fine. No, um, it was very <laughs> different. That was uh, bearing myself emotionally. Because, yeah, it's it can be surprisingly thought-provoking when you're deciding what you want to keep and what you don't. We we got brought onto the show very randomly. Like, a producer reached out through Facebook, and somehow we tricked several rounds of casting associates into thinking we had good personalities. So that's how that worked. But um, yeah, Matt was a little more, I think, closed off to the process at first. Like he doesn't, I think, have like that kind of reverence for, say, a shirt the way I do where I'm like, oh, I remember buying this shirt. I just have a lot of like emotional memories and connections to things. As anybody who saw the episode would know, paper, paper was a big one. But then when he was dealing with books, he definitely uh, felt it a little more, the Conroy spirit. And we still keep it up to this day. People ask us. Uh, we keep our home very tidy. It, oh, the wow. lessons really stuck. Wow. Yeah. And uh, maybe we're more organized than she is. Almost definitely not. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was really happy we got to go through that at a time where I think we were trying to like level up a little bit and um, you know be more organized, more dull, less cluttered, less like, crazed. And um, it was very special because my parents had not visited me in California before and they were able to time their visit with coming and being on the show and to get them see me living well in a nice space. I think that honestly went a long way with making my parents feel very happy with where I was at in life because they had met Matt and liked him a lot already, but to sort of see us on our home turf together thriving was uh, something really special for them. And I'm really happy that got to happen. Um, and I'll always have that oh, memory. Wonderful. Just click on Netflix until the bubble bursts and Netflix goes away. But for now it's there forever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's lovely. Wonderful. I, I mean, yeah, I guess uh, what a yeah, what a motivation to also keep it up because everyone's going to be asking you for the rest of your life or at least the rest of what however long Netflix is around if you're still organized or not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, I guess oh, I man. too maybe will have a Gizmodo headline one day where I'm like, I gave up, you guys. I'm sorry, couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> You're just like, I just started producing too many successful web series. That's true. Yeah. That's I fine. couldn't stay organized anymore. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. So in your well, home Frank... will definitely make it, uh, make oh, it less sure. tidy. So that would be the last piece of advice <laughs> I would give is if you use your home as a set, just acknowledge that it will be a little bit of time to clean up the dirt, but you will eventually. Mm. Mm. Well, this has been a wonderful discussion. So I'm curious to know what's next for you. I mean, still, you know, producing, still editing, still getting this web series out. Do you have anything else exciting on the horizon? Do I have anything else exciting in my life? Um yeah, actually. So I uh, got engaged to my fiance recently. Um, so oh, we, congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. We did that over Christmas. So we'll, thank you. We'll be getting married probably in the next few years. We're not like super ready to plan a wedding yet because every friend tells us how uh, laborious it is. I'm like, okay, maybe that can wait a second. <laughs> um, and if you're listening to this podcast, totally scandalized and you're like, well, I could never watch open to it. Good news. I also write on a kid's show called Ocean Explorers, which you can find on YouTube. Oh. And it's just about creatures exploring the ocean. And it's very cute and cuddly. They learn lessons about like colors and shapes, but also social emotional learning. So that being said, my parents and Matt's parents have seen open to it and laughed at it. So I truly do believe open to it. Fun for the whole family. Wow. Wonderful. <laughs> 
Where where can people watch and where can people find more of your work? Yes. So the first three episodes of Open To It are at opentoitseries.com. The third episode um, is paid for now. You have to click in the top right corner of it where it says buy for $3.33. But uh, a portion of the proceeds go to charity, the Translatina Coalition. Um, and episodes four through nine will be out uh, later this year. We'll probably be doing it in batches of three, like four through six and seven through nine. And I'm especially excited about nine because each episode is titled like open to whatever, like open to threesomes, open to polyamory. And episode nine is uh, the Christmas episode called open to XXXmas. So stay tuned. <laughs> Cute. Adorable. Very nice. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Frank. It's been a blast and we can't wait to watch the rest of the episodes when they come out. Awesome. And thank you guys for doing what you do. I think sex positive people, we need to need to keep being friends and hanging out. Love Frank, it. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. And to you listening at home, we would love to hear from you in our question of the week this week on our Instagram story, which is what part of your life would you like to be more open and honest about? We would love to hear your answers out there. And the best place to keep discussing this episode with other listeners is in the episode discussion channel in our Discord server, or you can post in our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. And in addition, you can share publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Dedeker Winston, Emily Matlack, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our production assistants are Rachel Schenewerk and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Hey guys, I'm Holly Randall, and I am an erotic photographer, director, and producer. I started a podcast called Holly Randall Unfiltered, where I interview the biggest names in the adult industry. My goal with this show is to show the world what the adult industry is really like and what really happens behind the scenes, what these porn stars are actually like as people, not just as performers, and show the world this is a real job. We actually take it seriously. And we have a lot of fun doing it at the same time. So make sure that you tune in to Holly Randall Unfiltered. You can find it anywhere you get your podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, you name it. And come learn what the porn industry is actually like.